seems to be a bit of a theme that this this verse comes up all the time um, in every week. So I'm going to have another look um, at what Jesus instructed in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. I'm going to use the Amplified for this one. And he said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened by religious rituals that provide no peace, and I will give you rest refreshing your souls with salvation. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, following me as my disciple, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest, renewal, blessed quiet for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and my burden is light. So let's just pray. Father God, please lead us as we study your word. Help us to get your revelation about where it is in our lives that we need to rest and slow down. Please transform us through your word and be honoured through this message. And Lord God, if you've got anything more to say that I've not written down, I pray that you would just speak it. In Jesus' name, amen. And so I love that verse from Jesus. Just reading the words, come to me, is so refreshing isn't it it just sort of washes over you and it's the secret of true rest that command come to me it's so beautiful he's saying don't worry I've got it I've got you you're mine and you're safe it's gentle and it's safe isn't it with him and those those words alone are our keys to safety come to me and it is for everyone, all who are weary. And that word weary in this verse literally means tired, overworked, fatigued. There's no sort of hidden meaning in it. It just does mean what it says, fatigued. And then he says it's not only for the weary, but the heavily burdened. In other translations, it says those who labor. But the Greek word that the heavily burdened, the labor, that word that, that's, that, that it's come from, it's, it's fortizo, which actually means to overburden with ceremony. And that's why the Amplified speaks there of religious rituals which bring no peace. Because it's exhausting, isn't it? Trying to follow all those regulations. If anyone's ever been a part of, you know, like, established church where it's just become all about rules and regulation and you know religion and not relationship it becomes quite a burden and it's all about earning your salvation isn't it instead of instead of Jesus paying the price and we can't earn our own salvation it's got it's got you know it's got nothing to do with us in that sense Jesus has done it It's his grace. He paid the price for us. And he promises us so much in that passage. Because twice in there he says he'll give us rest. Twice in it he says it. He doesn't just say it once. When he says it once, it means a lot. But when he says it's twice, you better take note. Because Jesus is telling you, come to me. This is where you'll find your rest. So let's just look at it just a little bit closer. I'm just going to whiz through it. We've got a lot to gain by just being in his presence 
And so one, when we come to him, we can receive eternal life. John spoke about that last week. Our salvation, our soul can rest. Number two, he gives us relief from fatigue. Just said that, the stresses of our work. Number three, relief from heavy burdens of religious rituals. We don't need to make ourselves clean. He's set us free. And then number four, and he says in verse 29, learn from me. And so it follows that we receive truth, wisdom, knowledge, and we become more like him. And five, we have an easy yoke. And John, the other week, already mentioned that when two oxen are yoked, it follows that they move together, that the burden's not heavy, it's not hard to bear. And Jesus' yoke is easy. He knows the way. And I think that's like the first century version of the saying, Jesus, take the wheel, isn't it? You know, let him lead you through and out of his troubles. But it's very telling, I carried on reading, and it's very telling that immediately after he said that verse, come to me and promise rest to all his disciples and all who are weary, that he immediately got into trouble with the Pharisees for breaking the Sabbath. It's quite funny, isn't it? He was criticised by the Pharisees for walking through a field of corn. They were hungry, so they started picking and eating. And, you know, it just showed how, you know, they'd, the religious leaders of the day, they'd taken something that God commanded us as a blessing and turned it into a burden. They turned it into an instrument of regulation and control. And Jesus told them off, and he said, no, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. You know, we're not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. Then, right after that, he entered the synagogue, and he saw a man with a withered hand. And remember, it's still the Sabbath. He's just said all that. He's just taught all that. He's just promised all that. The Pharisees have had a go at him already. And he entered the synagogue, saw a man with a withered hand, and the Pharisees challenged him. They knew what he was going to do. He couldn't help himself, could he? He's, you know, he's love. And, he, and they asked him if it's lawful for him that he should heal on the Sabbath. And of course, Jesus healed him right away. He said, stretch out your hand right in front of them, even though he knew that they were trying to trap him. But it was such a major issue for them to argue about. Look what happened next in Matthew 12, verse 14. I'm looking at the Living Bible. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot Jesus' arrest and death. Over rest. Over the Sabbath. Why were they so angry? Because his version of the Sabbath, the godly version of the Sabbath, it took away all their power. They didn't want anyone else following him. And the same is true now, isn't it? When we don't get any rest, how can we go to Jesus? How can we give him our burdens? We need to protect our time because rest is is now, in these days, becoming a bit of a goal instead of a right, isn't it? 
And finding time to rest can feel like we're swimming against the tide a little bit. And, and John's already mentioned, and we're seeing in the life groups, there is a resistance to rest, a real resistance to real rest. It could be outside resistance in the form of others, stuff piling up that we need to do, or that natural sort of innate resistance to rest. The, we've, been, we've been sort of conditioned in our culture, haven't we, to keep going, to if you stop, you're lazy, that kind of thinking. I, I love being busy. I thrive when I'm under a little bit of pressure. But no matter how much I feel that I'm doing, if I ever stop for any length of time and have a sit down or a nap even, um, if I haven't gone through my to-do list, then I feel like I'm lazy or I've not got great time management or there's something lacking. And it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be a burden. That's not what God gave us Sabbath rest for. And in this time of rest, where we've been talking about rest, where we've been talking about it in the life groups, it's like the amount of busyness seems to have multiplied ridiculously. I don't know whether anyone else has felt that. Maybe we're just more aware of it. I feel like I've been juggling those plates, you know, when you put them on the poles. And the more I try to rest, the more my diary fills up, the demands are growing, the phone's ringing, the doors going, that kind of thing. The dog needs a walk. Everybody needs something. I mean, it's that busy that we've even got six rescued ducklings in our back garden, which is like, what the heck? <laughs> right in the middle of this rest time, we've, you know, Sam decided to pick up some ducklings off the road, off Queensway, before they got squished. So it is quite bizarre. We've got all that to con contend with as well. But yeah, it might be that we're more aware of it. But, um, but maybe it's because I'm trying to focus and prioritise my time with God that I'm more aware that we're, we're wrestling and it's not with flesh and blood, but it's with an enemy who doesn't want any of us to have any sort of balance or any sort of rest or any sort of time with God or any sort of growing relationship with God. So it's a tricky subject, isn't it, rest? Busyness is classed as a good thing. John already mentioned that. You know, it goes hand in hand with success, doesn't it, busyness? We see successful, successful people as busy people in our minds, don't we? Busyness can be classed as therapeutic. When my marriage broke down a long time ago, I'm over it, I was advised to get busy to help me get through it, and it worked. I'm not saying it didn't. It was good advice, but it only put things on hold. I still had to come back and deal with things. You know, while I worked hard, my focus shifted. I put my emotions and feelings and my worries on the back burner, and I plodded on. And it helped, it did, but there came a point when I had to stop and still deal with things. You know, I'd, what did I do? I'd go home, I might have a nap, and then I'd get busy again. I didn't have to deal with it. And I think that if I'd not had church with good people around me and prayer and teaching and that precious time here in this building 
to stop and get with God and get healed, you know, it, it could have worked out a lot differently. And I've got to say, I felt him so close in this place with me, you know, during that time, because I had to stop when I came here. I had to face up to things. I had to come before God. And then, um, you know, just before when we were praying and we were, um, before everyone came in and we all prayed before the service and Doreen had a word and it just reminded me of that. And Doreen had this word that said, he's entrusted people here because it's a safe place. It was beautiful. And it's true, I felt that. But being busy is not a sin. It's not wrong to work hard, but putting work before God is a sin. Putting projects or hobbies before God is wrong. Filling up our time and leaving God out of the equation isn't right. It's out of balance. It's not helpful to our health either. It delays all the other stuff, those emotions that need dealing with, our time with our families, as well as our work with God. So we need to protect and value rest as though we're guarding something very precious because we don't value rest like we should. It takes up time. And time is worth so much, isn't it, in today's world? We hear about how many man hours are lost, how much productivity is lost, how much money is lost through people being off work, having time out and sickness or whatever. We all, it all adds to that time is money thinking, time is valuable thinking, but it's actually more valuable to our health, isn't it, to rest. And there's that famous saying that goes something like, no one on their deathbed ever wished they spent more time at work. And it's really true, isn't it, that? And there was something on the news recently, I don't know whether you, you heard it, about a research study that shows that people are more productive when they work a four-day week. How cool would that be? Because they're well-rested and they're better organised. Listen to this article. I've, I've got this article. I've tried to squash it a bit, but I'm going to read it out. And it was, it was only published in February. It says this, results from the world's largest trial of a four-day week demonstrates the benefits of reduced hour output-focused working. The pilot program conducted in the UK guided companies and workers through a six-month trial of a four-day week with no loss of pay for workers. There were 91 companies and approximately 3,500 employees across the world participating. Overall results show that 91% of the organisations will now stick to a four-day week after the trial, a further 4% leaning towards continuing, only 4% of partici participants are definitely not continuing. Companies rated their overall experience of the trials an average of 8.5 out of 10, with business productivity and business performance each scoring 7.5 out of 10. Revenue rose by 35% over the trial periods when compared to similar periods from the previous year. And hiring increased while absenteeism decreased. 
And this is just in the world. This is not like, you know, how we're doing it with spiritual rest. The health and well-being of employees also improved with significant increases observed in physical and mental health, time spent exercising and overall life and job satisfaction. Rates of stress, burnout and fatigue all fell while problems with sleep declined. So it had an absolute wonderful knock-on effect and, you know, to health as well because when you sleep... You heal, don't you, as well? Um, it went on to outline the benefits to the environment because people are not, you know, using the road as much. Just one day off helps, you know, and the travel time and petrol and things like that. But it's so interesting. It just goes to, to show that rest is beneficial in every way and a better way of using our time. It's such a positive and refreshing study because usually we, we see the negative, don't we, when we hear the news. But I thought it was such a positive one. So I hope that, that grows. It brings that much better work-life balance. So, yeah. So we're all in that constant battle with time management. And we've all got the same number of hours in a day. I really sort of marvel at people who've got it all together and can fit everything in. They're just amazing. But they've learned two things they've learned how much time things really take I don't know about you but sometimes I don't you know I'm not quite sure how long it'll take I'll just say 20 minutes so I always say to my boys they'll say when you when when's tea ready 20 minutes um how long will you be I'll be back in 20 minutes uh when will we get there oh it's be about 20 minutes you know, and you know, I'm not lying, it's just my default answer. You know, I just go, 20 minutes, yeah, 20 minutes, we'll be there, I'm aiming for it. Um, but sometimes we take on too many things, don't we, for the hours that we've got. And it's just about, you know, organising a bit more. And maybe we can give ourselves a little bit less to do in a day and spread things out a bit and start with God in the morning. You know, start with God before we even add anything else. And I'm talking to myself as well. Um, the second thing these wonderfully organized people have learned to do is to say no. Yeah, it's not really, you know, rocket science to say no, but we don't like it, do we? It doesn't really fit with our culture. Um, it sounds a bit blunt and negative and nobody likes to be offended. Um, we think, you know, we need to qualify it with an excuse. No, because, you know, I'm just like washing my hair. Um, yeah, I can't make it because you don't have to say that. You just say, no, I, 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 don't, I can't. That's it. You don't have to qualify it with an excuse. We have to learn to say no. And, you know, as John's been preaching on rest the last few weeks, I found all those statistics really interesting. They've been eye-opening. So if you've missed any, just have a listen on, that, on the website, on the podcast, because it's been brilliant, you know. Last week we heard about resting in our salvation, and uh, and I just want to put it out there if people feel like they missed out last week, you know, and, and wanted to come up and didn't. The invitation is always here, you know. If you wanna, if you wanna come for prayer, or if you feel like you need to give your life to the Lord, we love to pray for you. We're always ready to pray for you. But it, it, it's, it's such a sign of the times, isn't it, that we even have to preach on rest. 
about the need for rest. It's crazy that rest as a subject has become almost taboo. But then I suppose even Jesus got into trouble when he challenged the accepted view of the Sabbath. Um, but we're shown, aren't we, by examples in the Bible that rest is essential. Everyone rested. Even God rested. I loved what John said about after God created human beings, he rested. And that meant that the first day for humans was a rest day. That was, I loved that. It was, I'd never even thought about it that way. We were born into rest. I always think that when you know, Adam walked with God in the cool of the day that, that God was imparting things, like how to boil an egg or something. Do you know what I mean? I think, how, does any, how did we know at the beginning how to do these things? God must have said it to Adam when they were walking through the cool of the day. Build a fire. This is how you do it. Boil an egg. Cheese. This is how you make cheese. I love cheese. Cheese has got to have come from God. It can't have come from man. It's too nice. I bought five things of cheese. I got suckered into it yesterday at, the, um, at Tatton Park. I'm there for flowers. I ended up buying cheese, you know. So they were like, oh, well, it's normally four for, four for 20 pound. It's still expensive, isn't it? But we'll give you five for 20 pound. I'm like, oh, yeah, give me the cheese. <laughs> I've got all the cheese. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, it's got to have come from God. It's good. Anyway. I wonder if he said to Adam, make time to rest, or whether he just expected him to do it because he was born into rest, unlike us. We heard that God rested because he'd finished the work, and that's true, but I love that God looked on his creation and saw that it was good. He stepped back to admire what he'd done, and we heard this on Wednesday at Life Group, and I was like, oh! I've just written this down. They're going to think I've pinched it. I haven't. Um, But, you know, it was like he stood back and he looked at his creation and he saw that it was good. And I can just imagine him going, yeah, you've done a good job there. You know, have you ever done that? You've ever baked a cake or built a Lego thing or something or trimmed a hedge and looked back and gone... That's a good job, that. And then you look at it and you go, oh, I love what I've done with that. You know, and that's that's how much God loves us. He looks down and he goes, oh, I love what I've done with, with you. You know, I love what I've done. Look at the mountains. Look at the fields. Look at creation. Look at yourselves. I mean, we've got how many 40 odd bones or something in our feet? It's like amazing like engineering isn't it the human body I just think God must look at it and go oh use it properly I've made it it's gorgeous I love that it's his handiwork it's his masterpiece and he said it was good he stopped with his tweaking and he rested and just watched it all in motion and just just that It shows how much he cares about his creation. Time didn't rule God. He paused and rested and really looked and he loved it. He finished his work, he rested. And it was so important that he commanded that rest to be holy. 
and I don't think we know the true meaning of holy. Physically, we're not made, made to work relentlessly. If we did that, what good would we be to anyone? I know that if I work too much, I'm going to be tired and irritable, and then I'm not going to be, you know, the person that God wants me to be if I'm like that. Concentration camps, they used to work people to death. We're not meant to work to death. We're not meant to work relentlessly. We need to trust God when he made rest holy. It says in Genesis 2 verse 3 that he sanctified it and set it apart as his own. So in the Amplified again. So God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it as his own, that is, set apart as holy from other days, because in it he rested from all his work which he had created and done. If it's his day, if it's holy, let's make it about him. We might need to reset from the week. We might need to re-surrender. We might need to start afresh. But we always, always, always must come and worship him Come and worship him and remember that he is God and he comes first. It might not be physical work that we need rest from because who knows that like worry is exhausting. Worry is so exhausting. Trusting God brings rest from worry. We've got no need to worry. God's got it. Jesus said in Matthew 6, don't be anxious for anything. God is good and he works everything out in, for good in our lives. Romans 8, 28, most of us know it. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. No matter how much you've gone through or going through, keep trusting, have faith, because if it's not good, it's not over. We're not finished. Rest is a daily battle. And it sometimes feels as though we're battling several armies, doesn't it? We battle with ourselves. We try to pack in as much as we can. Um, worth and value in, in, you know, in being busy, isn't there? I've already said that. But we're no, we're no longer slaves to it all. Remember, all who came after Adam and Eve were born into labor and toil. But Jesus has restored us. We can live again from a place of rest like in God's original plan for us. We battle with the enemy. I've already said it, a very real devil wants to make us too busy to distract us from, from our relationship with God, our relationship with family, our godly purpose, our church. The devil wants to distract us from all that. So, you know, even though the stuff that we're doing might not be sinful or wrong, the busyness just takes over doesn't it we get overloaded and then when we get overloaded then we get tired and irritable and not the best ambassador so yeah and we make poor judgments when we're tired um, we battle with other people like it or not people put demands on us we can choose how to respond I've already said we can say no or we can delegate stuff can't we teach someone you don't have to do everything for everybody. You can show them how to do it, and then they can carry on doing it for themselves. You know, let's, let's not enable people to use us in that way when, you know, 
we can help them to work out their issues. Um, the best way to help is not always to just do it for somebody else. Sometimes it's better to help others to find solutions. In counselling, counsellors generally tend to coach, coach the patient into finding their own best way forward and becoming an account accountability partner in, in all that. Uh, we battle with God when we don't want to rest. But rest is important. It's a command. Jesus worked from a place of rest. He prayed, he found solitude, he slept. It's fascinating to see that his most notable miracles are after a time of rest, a time of solitude. It's not before, it's not like he goes and does something amazing and then goes for a sleep, which is the way we sort of do things, isn't it? You know, but Jesus went, had his time with God, his place of solitude, his rest, his sleep, and then he did something amazing. Because when we spend time with God, you know, he, he enables us, he equips us, doesn't he? And Jesus either went up a mountain or asleep on a boat in a storm, even. And then he helped others. Then he walked intentionally among the sick, the weak, the crowds. Then he taught in the synagogues. He was always ready because he put the time in with the Father. He stayed in step with him. He had space to stop and talk to people. He made sure he rested. We need to be ready in season and out of season. And to do this effectively, we need to be in step with Jesus and well rested and have that time. It was when Jesus was resting alone at the well, and I never even thought about it as, as him stood there having a bit of a rest. But he went to the well and he was tired and he sent them all off. He said, no, don't stay with me. You go, go and get us some food. And he sent all the disciples off to find food. Nobody stayed. And that's when he encountered the woman at the well. And he'd had that little bit of time alone before she got there. He'd sat and rested. He knew she was going to come. But in his rest, he waits for her to arrive. It was a divine appointment. And in her arrival, there was a divine encounter that resulted in a whole town coming to Jesus. And when I was writing down about that verse, it's like, it's the embodiment of what he said, come to me. She'd been through a lot, that woman. And he knew all about her life. And he'd said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And that's exactly what he did for the woman at the well. I wonder how many times Jesus has waited for my arrival and I didn't show up. How many times he wanted me to come and drink and rest a while with him and get a great revelation. And I wasn't there. I definitely need, I know for myself, I definitely need to rest with him more. And we can, we can spend time with him any time. And I found that if we ask him for a reminder of his closeness at some point during the day, he's so faithful. He delights in that. It might be through a song, or a rainbow, or a sunset, or a verse that someone sends you on WhatsApp. It could be anything like that, but God will bless you. If you ask him to show him that he's with you, 
it's uh, he's so faithful to do it. It might even be like when you're doing laundry or cleaning up or doing the mundane things. And that sounds like work, doesn't it? But sometimes you don't feel like work, does it? You know, it's just doing it. But you rest in your mind and you're able. God, that's how God speaks to me. God will talk to me when I'm doing mundane things because my brain is at rest. I'm not sat there, you know, mulling things over or, you know, whatever. Intentional, unbroken time with him is precious and should be protected. He'll sort the rest of your time out. David didn't write all those psalms by just having a quick half hour a day with God. He might have had a focused time, but he also had a constant walk with God. That gave him the honor of God saying that he was a man after his own heart. That time David put into knowing God gave him that indignance, that indignance towards Goliath, which was blind to the size of the giant. You know, because when we spend time with God, God becomes bigger than everything else. Nothing else compares. There's no comparison, is there? His walk showed us just how much he spent time with God. Psalm 63 says, early I will seek you. Psalm 55 says, evening and morning and noon he hears my voice. Psalm 119, he says, seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. He took everything to God. Problems, joys, depression, grief, thankfulness. He praised, he thanked, he moaned, he danced, he cried and he wept before the Lord. He knew God very well. But above all that, he feared God. The Bible says in Psalm 111, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. We can love and we can fear God at the same time. It is not, it doesn't, you know, fight against one another. We can love and fear God at the same time. The great and the terrifying power of our holy God is balanced by his mercy, his love, his justice, and his goodness. And we must fear him. But remember, he is love. He is just, but his mercy endures forever. He is good, but he can't be horrible or unfair. Even when sometimes we feel like something might be unfair, there's always a bigger picture. But how does the fear of God bring rest? How does that have anything to do with rest? Because there's nothing, no one, no natural disaster, no star in the universe, no nuclear bomb, no, no tyrant, no devil, no giant even, no king who is more powerful than our God. God is mighty and awesome. We really, really don't have any clue how mighty and awesome he actually is. If we did, the Bible says our hearts would fail us. If we treat him as anything less than almighty, how can we truly rest? Because we'll fear other things over him. We become afraid of men and wars and financial struggles, health issues, but God is above them all 
He's mightier than everything. If we truly feared God over all that, we'd see miracles every day, I believe. God created everything that man used to make these things and can and will at some point destroy them. These wars, these financial things, health issues. At creation, he completed the work that meant everything existed that could make everything that could ever exist. And that meant sin and choices. And unfortunately, since the first sin, mankind has made some incredibly stupid choices. And Jesus had to come and put right sin on the cross. But by fearing God, we also glorify him. He is above all things. We, we sometimes look at the concept of the fear of God or fearing God as a bad or a negative thing. We think like we suddenly put it like we're under a tyrannical ruler or an abusive situation. But that's not God, is it? Don't remove the fact that he's always good. He's always love and he is holy. There's no sin or hate in God. If we fear him, we know he's immovable. That's safety for us, isn't it? We can rest in the fact that he does not change. I find that really comforting. If we fear him, the temptation to sin diminishes. We can rest in the fact that he's provided a way out of every temptation. Men trembled before him in the Bible. We don't see that anymore, do we? They fell as though they were dead. This wasn't just respect kind of fear or reverence kind of fear. It was believed that if you looked at the face of God in the Bible, you'd drop dead, that you'd die. They tied a rope around the toe of the high priest, that could be painful, in case he saw God and died in the Holy of Holies and they'd have to drag him out. I wouldn't like to be dragged out by my toe, would you? That sounds uncomfortable. A man called Uzzah dropped dead after touching the Ark of the Covenant. And then in the New Testament, you've got Ananias and Sapphira. In the, um, they both dropped dead after they both lied before the Holy Spirit. So God is holy, and we've got to remember that. We don't ever talk about the holy fear of God um, but think about it. If a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire happened in here, would you not be terrified? I would. If it's, you know, it's this fear that gives us rest from all other fears. There's a peace in the fear of God. We're secure. We know that he knows everything. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere. He's working it all out for our good. We can't hide we know he's got our best interests at heart. He's got us safely tucked up in the palm of his hand. He knows the number of hairs on your head and he has your tears in a bottle. He sings over you as you sleep. We know that every evil thing will pass away because Jesus finished the work. We're waiting for him to return for us to spend eternity with him. The true fear of God makes us fearless towards everything else, which is amazing. We can practice resting in God continually by trusting in his faithfulness, knowing his goodness, and having a holy fear of him, which will 
never diminish our love for him, but it'll only grow it. The more we know him, the more fearless we become, the more peace we have. We need to be in step with him, talk constantly to him, trust him with every aspect of of our lives. Let's surrender everything to him. We can practice rest physically by sleeping, by saying no and not overloading ourselves, by committing time daily and weekly to rest and spending time in his presence. Isaiah 40 28 to 31 says this have you not known have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth he does not faint or grow weary his understanding is unsearchable he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might he increases strength even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not faint let's surrender to him let him refresh you so let's pray Father God just want to thank you for your word And I pray that you'd highlight those areas where we need to surrender to you. I pray you would teach us your ways, Lord. Help us to rest and find the time to spend with you. In Jesus' name.